Let's turn tonight in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. We'll begin reading at verse 15 to the end. Isaiah chapter 45. Verse 15. Verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself. O God of Israel, the Saviour, they shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth, I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together, who have declared this from ancient time, who have told it from that time. Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Saviour, there is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. And all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. And shall glory. Amen. We trust and pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing. This reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this evening is taken from Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Now my subject this evening is the good look that saves the soul. The good look 
that saves the soul. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 22 is one of those texts that made history because it was through this text that Charles Haddon Spurgeon was gloriously saved. Now Charles Haddon Spurgeon, we would look upon him in the English-speaking world as the Prince of Preachers. I have got a set of his sermons, 66 volumes in total, in the study next door. And in the height of his ministry, he was ministering in the Metropolitan Tabernacle to some five or 6,000 people weekly. We could say of Spurgeon that he was a man who burnt brightly for the Lord, a man on fire for God, a mighty man of God in his day and generation. Now, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was converted when he was but a lad of 15 years old. It was a Sunday morning. The date was the 6th of January, 1850. Spurgeon then lived in the city of Colchester. This particular Sunday morning, he could not get to his own church due to a snowstorm. He turned into a side street and went into a little primitive Methodist church there. There was something like... 10 to perhaps 15 people in total. They could have been even less. The preacher of that congregation was not able to make it. And one of the elders, uh, he assumed the responsibility of preaching God's word. This man who preached, it's recorded that he could hardly have put a sentence together. He, he was a shy man. He was not used to public speaking. He felt he was not educated enough to fulfill the task of, of preaching God's word. He stuttered a bit. He, he stammered his way through the service. But he took for his text Isaiah 45 and 22. And after about 10 or 15 minutes into the service, he, he said, and I quote, Young man! You look miserable, and you will always be miserable in life and in death if you don't obey my text. But if you will obey my text, you will be saved. Young man, I urge you, I implore you to look to Jesus Christ. Are you looking to Christ? And that Sunday morning, young Charles Haddon Spurgeon was gloriously saved. Now in our day, many who attend the house of God can easily become discouraged. One of the reasons for that discouragement is the lack of numbers. The lack of interest in spiritual things among people. There's many congregations where there's only a handful. And we could say, well, there's uh, a handful uh, amongst us tonight. But here's a handful in Spurgeon's day, in 1850, 10 to 15 people. And yet in that little gathering, the Lord worked a mighty miracle of his grace. And you know, instead of being taken up with numbers, let's be taken up with the Lord. Let's get our eyes in him because the Lord is able to work even in small gatherings such as this. The Bible tells us, despise not the day of small things. And another thing, here's a snowstorm, and yet there's a young man on his way to the house of God. And you know, 
sometimes in the house of God, there can be a sort of a, an attitude and a frame of mind form within our consciousness that, you know, it's boring to attend church. I don't get anything out of it. It's it's useless and pointless for me being there. And of course, once we begin to think like that and talk like that, it's an indication that there's something wrong. Our soul is dry. It may be cold. It could even be in a backslidden state. And we've got to remember, Mr. McAlvine and I were talking about this earlier today at the funeral uh, over in Hillsborough for Mrs. Cairns. Isaiah 66 and 2. God says, but to this man will I look. To him that is poor and who is contrite, which means broken in spirit, and who trembleth at my word. You know, Spurgeon, 15 years of age, on his way to church. You could think, well, he couldn't make his own church because of the snowstorm. He could have given up and gone home. But he didn't give up. He went into this little primitive Methodist church in a side street in Colchester. He was alone. No other family member there. No mother, no father, no brother, no sister. And, and you know, here's a spirit. Here's a mindset. We'll have all failed to attend the house of God. I'm going to be there as a young man. And, and that's the kind of spirit that we need. Uh, young people, instead of thinking, oh, this is boring, this is useless, this is pointless in me going, I, I want to tell you when you come to church, you come with this mindset of going to meet with God and hearing a word f from the Lord. Because Spurgeon that morning heard a word from God. And here's another matter. The man that preached wasn't skilled. He wasn't elegant. There, there wasn't a, a, a powerful sermon in that sense where people were sitting saying, what a preacher. The man, no doubt, was doing his best. But here's encouragement. The Lord uses means. He could use even a poor, shy, stuttering, stammering man. And that gives me encouragement. The Bible tells us no flesh should glory in his presence. So as you think of this text tonight, I want you to think of Spurgeon at 15 years of age, sitting in a little congregation and the Lord working mightily by his Holy Spirit in mercy on the heart and the mind of a young lad bringing him to Christ. And what encouragement it has been, not only for that little group of people, but the encouragement for the church from the day of his conversion right up to the present because he being dead yet speaketh. And many of us who are preachers have uh, sought to, to read and study at Spurgeon's sermons and gain insight of the biblical text for our own souls. Now as you think of the text, and I, I say that by way of encouragement to us because I, I know that it's easy to get discouraged when, when folks are not here. And I know it's easy to get discouraged for young people and sort of think, well, you know, there's nothing in there for our children. And, and, and that comes down to the reason of why we go to the house of God. What are we looking for? It has to be that we're going to meet with God and get a word from the Lord for our souls. Look at the text. There's three things here that, that come to mind. 
Look, look first of all at the identity of the Saviour. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there's none else. Now, now let me try and put this in context if I can. The prophet Isaiah was known as the evangelical prophet. And he exercised a very difficult ministry in the land of Israel. Uh, sadly, the children of Israel were living in his day in a state of open sin and rebellion to the Lord. I often take thought of the opening chapter, especially in verse um, 6. From the sole of your foot, even unto the head, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed, neither bound up, now they're mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. In verse 4 they were described a sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. A seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. You see the children of Israel sadly were guilty of the sin of gross immorality. They, they were guilty of open wicked behaviour. Uh, it was a sign that they were going the way of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as we have said in the text, they were full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. That's how they were viewed spiritually by God. Nobody seemed concerned. Nobody cared about this state. If we come to Isaiah 44, uh, you'll see that the children of Israel were guilty of the sin of gross idolatry. Here's a dreadful picture in Isaiah uh, chapter 44. I encourage you to read the chapter for yourselves and think of the verses. Grown men, educated men, we could maybe even say intelligent men, carving out an image for themselves and falling down and worshipping that image and claiming that image as their God. Uh, maybe they were going into the blacksmith shop and, and they were making some sort of metal object uh, that they were falling down to worship and claiming it as their God. They were going into the forest. They were felling a tree. They were using part of the tree for wood for their fire. But they would take the stump, uh, uh, the stump, and they would shape it, and they would fashion it in such a way, and then they would fall down before it and worship it as God. They were doing it with, with stones as well. And these objects of metal and wood and stone, they had no eyes to see, ears to hear. They had no mouth to speak. They had no hand to help. And we could say, well, that's an act of gross stupidity. That's an act of complete madness. Bowing down to a tree, spending an hour there in prayer and meditation, praying to that tree as if it was a god and expecting help from that. See, the people that did this, you know what they were saying? We don't need Isaiah's god. We can take care of our own spiritual need. We could face the future on our own. We can do without this God that Isaiah represents and preaches. We can manage by ourselves. We can do our own thing. The future rests in our own hands. <coughs> and you know, when you think of that spirit that is there in the um, 
book of Isaiah, Isaiah 44 and verse 17 is the reference I had in mind. And the residue thereof, he maketh a God, even his graven image, he falleth down unto it and worshipeth it and prayeth unto it and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. There's the key now, Isaiah 44 and 17, there's the key. A people given over to gross idolatry. And you know what? Such a spirit exists among many, even in Northern Ireland and throughout the United Kingdom today. Aye, we could even say Western civilization. But you could say, well, surely people today aren't guilty of gross idolatry. There's nobody has got a wooden object that they're bowing down to and praying to and worshipping in their back garden or in their secret chamber of their house, Mr. McLaughlin. And you may be right. And you may sort of say, well, I'm not guilty of gross immorality. I, I, I haven't uh, lived an open life of wicked behaviour against God. And I'm not guilty of gross idolatry. I haven't got an idol of stone and metal and wood. But what about the God of self? Isn't this the age of the selfie? Uh, where people want to take a picture of themselves doing whatever they're doing and putting it on the internet for other people to look at. You know what they're really saying? Look at me. What they're saying is, we're quite prepared to go through life without a true saving relationship with the God of heaven. Those that have made a God of their self are trusting in the works of their own hands. They're doing exactly what the children of Israel did. They're looking after themselves. They're seeing to their own future. They've conceived a God of their own imagination. They're doing their own thing without reference to God. And folks, that's just a a sort of a little glimpse, in a sense, to, to the religious life of the nation that we live in. And just like Israel, it's ripe for judgment. And Isaiah comes to this people in the context that they're given over to the sin of gross immorality and gross idolatry. And Isaiah from God has got a message for them. And the message is this. You need to be saved. And you can't save yourself. Salvation is not by self-effort. It's not by the works of your hands. It's not by your idols. But God has provided a true, full, free and forever salvation in himself. Now now think of it. In an age swamped with idolatry. In an age swamped with iniquity and immorality. In an age of multiculturalism. In an age of religiosity. In an age of ignorance of the living and the true God. God reminds the children of Israel through Isaiah the prophet. That there's no saviour but by me. And there's no salvation apart from me. This is what he's saying here. Look at the text. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Here's the reason. For I am God. And there is none else. Look at the context in verse 21. Tell me. Tell ye. And bring them near. Yea. 
Let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Saviour. There is none beside me. God's reminding the people there's no Saviour but by me. There's no salvation but by me. He is reminding the children of Israel that he himself, God alone, is the saviour of sinners. Look unto me. They're not looking to Muhammad. There's a lot of talk today in the television especially about the prophet Muhammad. I want to tell you the prophet or Muhammad is a false prophet. The, the Quran, of course, is, contains pieces of the true scripture. I'm not saying verbatim, but at least it has got um, a, a, a allusions to the scriptures. And one of those is taken from uh, our, our Bible, where uh, Moses said to the children of Israel, The Lord thy God will raise up a prophet like unto me from among your brethren, in Deuteronomy 18 and 15. And uh, the Lord Jesus in his day spoke of the rise of false prophets, Matthew 24. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of false prophets, Matthew 7 and 17. And that prophet that Moses referred to, that the Lord thy God will raise up a prophet like unto me from among your brethren, that prophet was Christ. From among your brethren means from among the Jewish people. And Muhammad was not from among the Jewish people. And the Bible says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in there. Don't look to Muhammad. Don't look to Islam or, or the religion of the world. Don't look to the church. We said a few weeks ago, uh, there's no church that saves. Salvation, uh, uh, Paul and John said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Uh, don't look to yourself. Uh, Titus 3 and 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. For by grace you saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Uh, don't look to the works of your own hands. Don't think about your ability, your imagination, your goodness. Uh, don't, don't look to, to your religion with its customs, its duties, its observances, its ceremonies. Here's the context. A people rebelling against God, guilty of gross immorality, gross idolatry. A people that were hardening their heart, and yet God comes in mercy. Through the prophet Isaiah. And he says to the people. Look to me. Don't look at me. Look to me. Look unto me. I am the one who, who saves. I am the one who receives sinners. I am God. God alone. I am the saviour. There's none beside me. There's no other redeemer. I'm the one living and true God who, who brings salvation. And do you know, tonight we could take proof after proof. We could go through the Old Testament. We could go through the New Testament. Think, for example, of Mary in Luke 1. My soul doth rejoice in God my Saviour. Peter and John have already quoted in Acts 4 and verse 12. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and 1 talked about my Saviour. Look to the identity of the Saviour. Now the question of question is this. Do you know him? 
Who or what are you trusting in for salvation? Here's a chapter that reveals for us the, the character of God. God in his sovereignty. God in his strength. God in the severity of his justice. God in, in the sweetness of his saving mercy and salvation. Notice something else in the text. Look at the simplicity of salvation. It says, look unto me. Now, now that's important. We've already stressed salvation is not invested in the church or a denomination or a party, nor is it in keeping a code or merely holding to a creedal statement and say, intellectually, I accept that. But it's invested in the triune God who's revealed himself primarily in the person of Christ. Now now listen to what he says. Look unto me. You see, this is a call of God. It's addressed to a people calling on idols to save them. It's addressed to a people praying to an idol that can't save. Remember, the idols have no ears to hear, no eyes to see, no hand to apply, no mouth to speak. And yet, amazingly, he intervenes in mercy. We could say, this is a merciful call, couldn't we? God could have left them alone. He could have left them to their idols. He could have given them to a reprobate mind. But he didn't. He's rich in mercy. Isn't that tremendous? But God, who is rich in mercy... Notice it's a simple call. Look. He didn't say, do penance, go on a pilgrimage, pay money. He didn't say, pray for an hour at a time or or pursue this course or that course. Uh, We were singing there and singing deliberately in hymn 228, I have a message from the Lord. The message unto you I give. It is recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Listen to the call. It's a merciful call from God. It's a simple call. And the message of the gospel is look to God in Christ. Look to him as the saviour and the redeemer. Notice it's an urgent call. Because in the Hebrew, uh, the word look is very emphatic. It's look now. Look immediately. Look at once. In Numbers 21, once the children of Israel were bitten with the brazen serpent and they were dying, uh, 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 or or the fiery serpent, and they were dying, here was the answer. The serpent of, of brass was put in a pole and they were told to look to the brazen serpent. And of course, does not tie into... Uh, John's Gospel, when John took that historical incident in the life of the children of Israel where they were dying uh, of the fiery serpent's bite, uh, and then he he applied it to Christ. Uh, And he says in, in John 3 and 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And tied into the word believeth, is this concept of looking. You see, this is a command. This is very emphatic. 
This is the only thing you can do. There's an urgency here tied in. We could even think about the immensity of the call. Here's little Israel. That's the geographical center of the whole world. And on either side, there's countries. To the west, to the east, countries to the north, countries to the south. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. The whole world. People of every creed and colour. People of every condition. People of every class. Notice the clarity in the call. You see, the word look is not just a a glance. It's not just a, a passing sort of corner of the eye thing. The word means to gaze. It's tied into the word behold the Lamb of God. Turn from looking to idols. And turn to look to me. Stop gazing at the idols and start gazing in me. You see it includes repentance. It includes true faith. The, the, the looking to Christ means you're looking to, to cling to me. You're, you're looking to depend on me. You're looking to, to trust in me. You're looking to rely on me. I think of the hymn, Now none but Christ can satisfy. No other name for me. Tis life and joy and lasting peace, Lord Jesus, found in thee. You see, the people that worship the idols, they faced a false future. They had a false security. Why? Because they had forgotten, they had refused the whole, the, the look of simplicity in salvation. Notice finally, the look of security of the saved. I, I think of these words, look unto me and be ye saved. I have to confess, I, I love that word saved. It's a Bible word. Notice it's not a call to commitment or a call to turn over a new leaf or a call to reformation or a call to be religious. Look unto me and be ye saved. That is saved from your life of idolatry. Saved from a life of immorality. Saved from a life of iniquity. You see, this is a biblical term. The Bible says, whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. There, there's a certain surety about God's salvation. There's no doubt about it. We can be saved from sin's penalty. We can be saved from sin's power. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. We can be saved from the very pleasure of sin. What does he do? He takes the love of sinning out of our hearts. He brings a change in the things that we hated and despised. We now love. And the things that we enjoyed and took pleasure in, we, we turn afraid, away from. Remember in Thessalonians, how they turn from idols to serve the living and the true God. The door of salvation stands open now. The question is, have you entered in? Jesus said, I am the door by me of any man enter in, he shall be saved. I'll tell you something else. The day of salvation is present. The Bible says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. This is the day of grace. We're in the land of the living. Life, of course, is full of uncertainty. 
boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. We could be taken away at any moment. We're just speaking to Robert Mitchell in church. That's probably why I forgot my Bible. And we're talking just as we come out of the service about um, dying in your sins. And he was saying to me, isn't it great to know that, that, that Mrs. Cairns has gone home to heaven and her eyes have seen King Jesus. And what a joy that is. Jesus said, I, I told him three times, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. And we could, we could be unexpectedly taken from the scene of time. Suddenly something could happen and we could be removed. The only time we're sure of is now. Behold, now is accept the time. Now is the day of salvation. You see, the door is open. The day of salvation is present. And you know, the desire of salvation is still granted. I think one of the key things, as we finish tonight, is not only that you need to be saved. I think that most people accept that. I need to be saved. And here's another truth. You can be saved. And that's a glorious truth to, to bring into your mind. That, that, that gives you hope. But we'll go further. Do you want to be saved? If the desire is there. then that desire can be fulfilled. It can be granted. Look unto me and be ye saved. What is promised here is the fact that you can be saved. The door stands open. The day of grace is present. And the desire can be granted. The look of security of the saved. What a wonderful thing it is not to have a false future. What a wonderful thing it is to not have a false security. But to be dead on sure and certain. Because what are we trusting in? We're trusting in God and his word. Look unto me and be easy. That's what he's saying to the children of Israel. That's what he's saying to you and I tonight. Have you looked at the identity of the Saviour? God, my Saviour, is that your testimony tonight? Have you looked at the simplicity of salvation? Just a look. There's life for a look at the crucified one. There's life at this moment for thee. Have you looked at the security of the saved? They have got a true and sure and certain hope. Because it's based in God's word genuinely and truly saved. May the Lord bless these few remarks to our hearts.